0: The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Let's pray. Father God, now as we've settled down, Lord, what a beautiful problem to have. We love one another. We're excited to see each other. We have lots to share. And it's all because of you, the joy you put in our hearts. And you've knit us together. We're going to be talking and celebrating for all of eternity because of you, Lord. Now, speaking of that happy fellowship, Lord, here in Acts 15, something really sad, two men falling out of joyful fellowship, two men of God at odds with one another, a sharp dispute, a falling out of the worst kind between two believers. So help us find ourselves in the story. God, it won't be hard to do, because we're all so prone to quarreling and hardening our hearts and then parting company. Help us learn, God, today to be more of a blessing, less of a hindrance, more of a helper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that got your attention. Nice. Well, if it's not one thing, it's another. That's kind of the way it goes in life. And certainly here in the book of Acts, as the gospel's been spreading from jerusalem to the rest of the world it hasn't been easy getting the word out the bible calls the gospel the word of life because the message can redirect a soul that's headed for destruction into the loving arms of god our father who's waiting to provide forgiveness of sins and eternal life to anyone who believes in his son jesus and With eternity on the line, man, we obey the Lord's command to go out and preach the gospel to all the world, no matter the hardship that would come as a consequence, you know? And so that's what they're doing here in the book of Acts. They're going into all the world they set off for Cyprus, as you'll recall, then to modern-day Turkey. Uh, First missionary journey mm, was a great success. Churches established... Lives were radically transformed by God's love and the power of the Holy Spirit. Christianity is spreading like wildfire there, but with massive conversions comes massive pushback and persecution, one hindrance after another, or should I say one scheme after another, because the word scheme is how the Bible describes the work of the evil one. The devil is scheming trying to trip us up in our personal lives and also to hinder us corporately as a church that is doing the will of God and ministering and pointing people to the light so that they might uh, come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So God is working to bless. The devil is scheming to hinder, undermine, and oppose. And you don't need him to be named in any of the chapters but it's just obvious where he's working. He is after all the head of quote the spiritual forces of evil in invisible realms roaming about seeking someone to devour. Uh, But the Bible says resist him and he will flee. That's a beautiful passage. And sometimes in his scheming he uses unbelievers uh, they become hostile, and they turn up the heat in the form of persecution. And we've been seeing that in the book of Acts. And sometimes, sadly, he uses believers, who who, sadly, by their immaturity, they make themselves available, and the evil one gets in there and uses them, gets a foothold, and uh, like the guys we saw last week. And so here's a bit of context before we dive in and see what's going on. Here in Acts 15, uh, last time the devil up to no good with false teaching. And, and, and he puts it in the mouths of immature believers who are running around uh, to the new believers and all the new churches that Paul and Barnabas have been planting uh, with a works-based gospel. And all that means is instead of being saved by grace, They were saying, oh no, there's work to do. you got to do this and you got to stop doing that or you won't be saved. A works-based approach to the gospel is not good news at all. If it's up to you, if it's up to me, if we have to be good to be saved, then we're all in a lot of trouble. The truth of the matter is God was good on our behalf through Christ and did what we could never do. He was perfectly good. He met every command perfectly and then died the perfect death for our punishment that whosoever just simply believes in him, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone shall be saved. So uh, there was this terrible ruckus that these guys were causing with their false teaching. So Paul and Barnabas, they rounded up these guys and took the whole matter and them to Jerusalem to headquarters where they uh, have this heated debate uh, on the issue at hand. The church elders met, they settled the matter, they put the troublemakers in their place, and sent out encouraging letters to all the victims of that false teaching, uh, really encouraging them. So problem solved. The fires of contention are extinguished. Paul and Barnabas return back to their home church in Syria where they've been pastoring, right? Uh, with happy news, smiling faces, and united hearts, and at long last, um, they can breathe a big sigh of relief. But not for long. Verse 36. Sometime later, and so I just added, following that church council in Jerusalem, Paul says to Barnabas, hey let's go back and visit the brothers the churches there in all the cities where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, so we call him John Mark with them. But Paul didn't think that was very smart to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia, central Turkey where Galatia is and had not continued with them in the work. Verse 39. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement, very, very strong words in the Greek. They had a blowout. They parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers, the church, the elders, to the grace of the Lord he went through Syria and Cilicia, modern day, Cilicia's modern day Turkey, heading toward Galatia, strengthening the churches. That's our paragraph for this morning. A falling out of the worst kind, that is, between believers. As the saying goes, men may have hearts of gold, but they have feet of clay. Meaning at the end of the day, no matter how noble your intentions were all. Flawed human beings, quite vulnerable uh, to behaving badly. And so, yeah. And as I said, the devil's not named in the passage, but know this, know this. Wherever there's hot, explosive anger and arguing and then division, the devil is never very far away. So how ironic, first of all, before we even dive in, the sharp dispute is between two peacemakers (laughs) who were just used in the previous verses to settle divisive arguments. And not just any old ordinary Christians, these two, they're apostles, yes. Paul the apostle, one of the official apostles. Barnabas is called an apostle in the more general sense of the term, as a missionary. But these two men of God Unbelievable. How ironic. The Jerusalem Council has just finished. Uh, There was this huge contentious debate, as I've been saying. Emotionally charged, sensitive issue, how people get saved and the room's divided and nobody's on the same page and people are arguing. And, 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 And God used these same two men, gave them wisdom, and love, and grace, and diplomacy to bring resolve, to broker peace, and to restore unity. And now, (laughs) what about them? (laughs) Well, have you heard the saying, the cobbler's children have no shoes? It means the shoemaker gets carried away he's making shoes for everybody else's kids and whoopsies he forgets to make his own kids the shoes he doesn't get around to that and and so yeah you know, it's that kind of thing it's the kind of thing where you know the marriage counselors you do realize that marriage counselors don't have perfect marriages right uh, they have their squabbles too in fact i asked one once i said come on man you're so smart always tell me the right things, man, you know, back in the day. And he says, um, I said to him, do you, do you guys fight? Do you fight at home? And he just smiled and said, what do you think? He goes, of course. But he says, but usually I win. Yeah. <laughs> he said, because I'm a therapist, right? And I said, you know, no, your wife makes you think you win, <laughs> you see? Because that's her gift, you see? That's the gift of most women, Right. Well, it's the idea. I could go on for days with the illustrations. The mechanic lets his oil run low. It happens. And it's happening here. The Christian leaders who teach others about showing love and extending grace and getting along, sometimes Christian leaders can't seem to implement these truths themselves. And what's true for them is true for everybody in this room. It's so much easier to see how to fix somebody else's problem than when the problem is entangled in our own wounds, our own biases, our own hurts, our vested interest and alike. And so, yeah, we can understand how this can happen. Uh, And it's very serious. It's very serious, as it always is, whenever two ambassadors of Christ, because that's who we are. From God's point of view, he thinks we represent him. (laughs) You know, God's not here right now, but uh, I'm here for him. And here's how I would handle it, because this is how Christ would handle it. Yikes, what a responsibility. So when two Christians are acting unbecoming to go at each other like that in a heated way and then part company like that, it's so destructive. And how much more when it's two well-known, well-loved Christians... Uh, leaders. There's so much on the line. There goes Christian witness, the health and unity of the church that's surrounding this, the the reputation of the gospel. How about those new believers who Paul and Barnabas were uh, influencing to come to the Lord through their efforts and now they're watching the guys who led them to the Lord tangle like that. Uh, what a sad thing. And what about, <laughs> you know, those unbelievers who live next door who can't stand those Christians? And when they catch wind of Paul and Barnabas going at it, can you just hear their mocking? I can hear it. Oh, yeah. Oh, did you hear what happened? They were fighting. Did you hear that? Raising the voices. What was that about? Well, you know, they were probably singing that song they're always singing Beloved, let us love one another. <laughs> you know, and they make fun of us us, right? And, and it's so true. When we give the devil an opportunity to work in us and through us uh, the scripture is true. When Paul leveled it at the Roman Christians in chapter 2 of his epistle quoting from the Old Testament he says when you guys don't live up to the standards you preach, he says the name of God among unbelievers is blasphemed because of you. Yeah! So isn't this the reason God has allowed this blot on an otherwise beautiful story of a loving friendship and a partnership in missions and ministry that changed the world? And then there's this blot. Why? Why couldn't we just gloss over it because the Holy Spirit says, oh, no. We need to talk about what happened here. We need to think long and hard about it so we can probably learn something and sidestep the drama in interpersonal fallouts. And if you love friendship more than you do falling outs, <laughs> then this passage is for you. We can learn how quarreling and, impre- and and having to have our own way and all of this uh, nonsense uh, makes us more of a hindrance uh, than a help. And so that's the purpose. Now we're going to dive in. And as Pastor Joe now likes to say, our text divides quite nicely, doesn't it? <laughs> if you don't get that, you'll have to ask somebody who was here last week and they'll fill you in. Uh, the points are brought to you by the letter P, Uh, this morning. And so here's the flow. We start with a prompt that leads to a proposal, that leads to a (laughs) pow-pow. I have provocation but I like pow-pow better, you know, Uh, which then results in the parting of the ways. So you go from prompt to proposal to pow-pow to parting the ways. Let's dive in at 36. We'll isolate that and just Let's walk through it. Let's put on our therapist cap and see what we can learn here with the Holy Spirit present among us speaking to our hearts as he always does. Sometime later, Paul comes up with this idea. Let's go back and visit the churches and check in and see how they're doing the prompt. Okay, note takers. So, the desire arises in the shepherd's heart to check on the work there that the new churches and their new friends, their new Christian friends there. He's uh, the father of their faith. He has sort of been used to to bring other people into a right relationship with God and so he wants to check. When it says sometime later, it, it means a couple, several months after the big Jerusalem council, and now just for you, uh, it's been two years since Paul and Barnabas returned from the mission field uh, where that uh, incident happened with John Mark. All right, So it's been two years. Paul wants to go back to Turkey and see how they're all doing. Let me show you what's up on the map again just so you get, and and this time, check this out. Yeah, this is no ordinary pointer. You know, after 10 years of going, oh, does this even work? You know, Spencer said, I just sent to China, and uh, it's probably illegal. (laughs) But uh, you know why it's illegal? Because I'm feeling a hole being burnt in my head. (laughs) They start there. (laughs) Uh, I know. You appreciate it maybe even more than me, right? (laughs) <laughs> I know, folks, the things you have to put up with, you know. So there, Syria is Paul and Barnabas' business church, and 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 they got sent out, and they go do their thing. And when they get here, John Mark starts whining and takes a boat home to mom, and it, <laughs> down here, okay. So he goes back to the upper room because he lives in the house of the upper room. He's kind of famous, kid. And so they go into Galatia, they do their thing as we saw for several months and they uh, come back and they go back home. Now they've been there two years. And now ding, He gets Paul gets the ding, he wants to go up and around by land and go visit them. That's all the initial thing is. Of course it's going to turn into the second missionary journey. Whoa, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put down my life my life saber, whatever it's called. All right, let's let's do away with that. They're situated now. All right. So maybe winter gives way to spring, the holy spirit is pinging in in the shepherd's heart. There are no cell phones, no texting, no email. And Paul is expressed in other parts of the New Testament, he has unrelenting anxiety, a holy concern for churches. And here's how he expressed it to the Thessalonians what exactly is going on in his heart in this passage. He says to the Thessalonians, he says, so when I could stand it no longer being away from you guys, I sent Timothy to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had snuck in there and tempted you and that our labors among you might have been in vain. You see, what he tells the Thessalonians is how he feels about the Galatians. And what the ding he's feeling now is because, you know what, it's not enough. And this is the definition of Christian evangelism. It's not to make sure they say the prayer and get over the line. That's nice. But the whole deal is to then help them get rooted and established and grow in a stable way to set them up for success instead of out the door like some churches, just out the door. We're like, hey, hey, you need to get baptized, people come into your life and walk with you, prayer at the cross, let's get together on this. And what did Jesus say? Go into all the world, preach the gospel and make disciples. The word means learners. Those who get rooted and established in the word. It's the easy part to say, let me lead you into sinner's prayer. Okay, you're saved. Bye. Oh no, no. The hard part then to walk with them in life, to be patiently investing in them. There's a lot of fun in that. And there's some work involved as well. So let's just go all the way and care about those who have come recently to the Lord and make sure that they're becoming disciples. Amen. I do want to point out this interesting thing that I saw. The initial prompt here is to do one thing. Let's simply go back and visit the brothers. That's all. Does he realize it's the start of the second missionary journey, that they're not going to end with the brothers, that they're going to go 3,000 miles of uncharted territory and bring the gospel for the very first time to the continent of Europe. First time when they go to Philippi, they cross the the sea there, they're now on European soil. First time with the gospel. Does he know that? Does he know it's a four-year trip? No. This is how God works. He eases us into the big things he has planned. He says, hey, he puts it on his heart, let's just go back and visit the brothers. Yeah, and then once you're faithful in the little thing and he gets you into position, then boom, then it happens, you see. One writer said, we can never know what great blessings are waiting right around the corner following our small obediences. I love that. And so that's how God works. So there's the prompt to go visit the brothers. And Barnabas is all in, but he has a proposal Let's take a look at that, 37 and 38. Paul says, uh, let's go, Barnabas says, let's do this, man, and let's take John Mark, my beloved nephew. Now, Colossians 4 tells us that they're related. The word can mean nephew or or uncle or cousin. They're all one word. (laughs) So most commentators say it's uncle and nephew. I agree with that, and so... Uh, Let's take my nephew for round two. Verse 37, Barnabas wants to take John Mark. It's a weaker word in English, wants. Uh, It's actually shout out to the King James. It's really stronger. It's determined, right? It's a desire he wants to, but he has had he He has purposed in his heart. That's the best way to think about this. So in other words, Uncle Barnabas has been had twenty four months since John Mark's falling away, as it were, uh, to think about it, and they've been together for twenty four months, and he's been pondering over those two years. He's anticipated the moment where they might go out again, and he's already made up his mind. They're going to have to extend grace and give his nephew a second chance. They've been home. They're, they're plenty of time. The water's gone under the bridge. 20, plenty of time to say let bygones be bygones, right? Uh, I'm No doubt John Mark has cried, expressed regret, and hugged them, and, and all of that. There's been relational uh, restoration, shall we say. It's been two years. Plus they're doing local ministry together, right? And so he has it in his heart uh, to give this kid another chance. And by the way, uh, does Barnabas, even when he's in Jerusalem he stays in the house with John Mark in the upper room. He stays there. Why? Because the owner of the house, John Mark's mother, Mary is Barnas, Barnabas' sister, you see? So they've been... St- spending time together and, 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 you know, lots of visits there. But for Paul, there's no warm, fuzzy family bonds. There's no memory of John Mark as a toddler or John Mark getting baptized. So in, in, in um, Barnabas' mind, He sees a picture when he's thinking of John Mark coming along. John Mark at the baptism when he was 13 years old. You know, there it is. But what's in Paul's mind, the picture in Paul's mind is John Mark's back as it walked out on them into the sunset, leaving them high and dry. And so throughout the sermon you're going to be on Paul's side And then you're going to be, whoa, I'm on Barnabas' side. And then you're going to be, no, I'm back on Paul's side. And uh, we'll see where you end up here. Yeah, John Mark did a terrible thing just 24 short months uh, earlier. Uh, He didn't even make it halfway. And so he signs up as a helper. You know, with great enthusiasm, Uh, you remember the stories, but I'll I'll go over it for you. Uh, Great promises, oh, I can be a real help. You know, stars in his eyes, as his uncle and Paul are on the platform talking about, we're going to sail off to Cyprus and then follow the lead of the Holy Spirit to to trip around the world. We're going to share the gospel. It's like, oh, take me along. I'll help. I'll be there for you. He was young, strong in body, you know, the Lord's hand was upon him, gifted as we all the whole world will find out how gifted this young man is, (laughs) uh, if you know the end of the story. But turns out in that moment he wasn't ready. He wasn't quite ready for the rigors, the challenges, the hardships, uh, life on the mission field for a century. (laughs) Man, he needed more time testing and growing in character. And so one morning, as we might imagine, after not sleeping well again because the rock and the root of the tree were in his back, because after all, they're not sleeping at the Hyatt, um, they're on the ground. And when the mosquitoes are buzzing and biting, um, that morning he's exhausted. There are dirty pots and pans to clean. The camp is waiting to be broken down. The gear needs to get packed. The clothes need to be washed. And all extra work now that Paul, commentators say, was there sick with malaria and burning up with fever. So now there's more work for John Mark. And it's at that moment he wakes up, puts his stuff in his backpack, gets his ticket, and sails home to Mom. And Paul throws off the covers of his sweaty, feverish body, and he starts unpacking. And packing and breaking down the camp. And so the word used here for what John Mark did, the word the Holy Spirit chooses is hard. It's a hard word. It, uh, Jesus uses it. So I'll tell you where Jesus uses that same word. He's telling a parable, an illustration there. In Luke chapter eight, Jesus says, You know, some plants, likening them to Christians, they spring up right away but the soil is shallow without deep roots when things get hot and the sun climbs high they just wither right and he says he goes on to say like some believers he says in the quote in the time of temptation the word means testing to be squeezed they and here's the word deserted it means fall away to wither you see So Now he didn't fall away from his salvation, he just had a testing moment and he he failed. I mean, the righteous fall seven times and they get up, right? But it was a big deal. So John Mark was tested, he got put in the kiln Um, they fired up and on this occasion he cracked. So Barnabas sees this as an excellent opportunity for redemption. Paul sees it as an excellent opportunity to learn from the past. So time for the pow-pow, all right? So verse 39 and following. They have such a sharp disagreement that they part company. Let's talk about this. So parting is such sweet sorrow. Said Juliet, Uh, in this case not so much uh, sweetness. Uh, What Juliet meant was it's sad to part company with someone when you love them so much but you know it's sweet because you're thinking oh tomorrow I get to see them again right I don't think that Paul and Barnabas were thinking like that uh, because the the words to describe it sharp emotionally wounding that's the sharp the painful the the uh, the discomfort of it all So the unthinkable, let's talk about it. Two Bible heroes go at it, have an ugly uh, fallout, Uh, extraordinarily gifted, how can this be? Filled with the Holy Spirit Uh, and, and there it is. Now there are, as it is with any blowout you ever have, there are contributing factors. Those you can see that are obvious and those you can't see. So let's, uh, as I've been saying, put our therapist hat on and let's talk about this, Barnabas. Let's start with the two different dispositions of the two. Barney, that's not his real name. You remember, his name's Joe. They don't call him Joe. They nicknamed him Mr. Encouragement. Why did they do that? That's what Barnabas means. It actually means kind of Mr. Encouragement. Why? 15 times you hear about him in the New Testament and every single time he's building somebody up. He's encouraging somebody. Every single time it's like, whoa, look at him go. He's generous. He's donating. He's helping. He's leading someone to the Lord. He's strengthening and encouraging. He's the kind of guy, every time you leave him, you feel better. You feel good. You feel more hopeful. feel more up. That's him, you see. Son of encouragement is his name. Now Paul, Paul is a type A. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, so of course he's an encouraging guy. But he's a mover and he's a shaker. Uh, His gifting, he's tenacious, he's bold, he's got this incredible intellect. He's over the top with passion and unmatched zeal. In 30 years, that man, he's the driving force that God uses to evangelize the entire Roman Empire. He's the Holy Spirit's pick to write, through the Spirit, 13 New Testament books. He plants over 20 New Testament churches. He's a no-nonsense, no-thrills, straight-to-the-point, let's-do-this kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that's like, get on the train or get out of the way. Or get run over. You know, you choose. That's Paul. And it works for a guy like Paul. And as I said, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, so there's plenty of love and mercy. But when it comes to the work of the Lord, he's a little more rigid, He's a little less flexible because Paul lives or dies by the gospel. Uncle Barnabas, his guiding principle is people first. Just people first. Policy second. Everything else second. Uh, You know, especially with family. Barnabas is the kind of guy who would say blood is thicker than water, John Mark. But Paul, his gifting, he has a different thought. Yeah, Blood is thicker than water, but the blood he's thinking about is the blood that ransomed the souls of mankind. And the message that speaks of that blood that takes a man off the path that leads to destruction and onto the narrow road that leads to life. And that takes precedence over any earthly allegiance. Now, you feel the tension? Yeah. Howard Marshall, New Testament scholar, loved this. Paul is concerned for the welfare of the mission and the wisdom of taking an unreliable partner. It is a classic example of the perpetual problem of whether to consider the interests of the individual or the work as first priority. And there are no hard and fast rules here. It's true. It's true. Think of it. John Mark, he demonstrates great promise. We're called to forgive and extend mercy, and nothing would be better in one's uh, thinking than to offer this young man a second chance to affirm him, to mentor him on the trip. A second invite could be life-changing. It could be pivotal to this young man who's looking and saying, can I come too, right? So here's the question. Should we do what's best for the precious brother and take a risk by setting him setting him and the team and the mission up for failure do we take that risk which do we do do we err on the side of the taking a chance with John Mark and change his life or do we say you know what not this time well do we take the risk Barnabas says yes and here's Barnabas motto the biggest risk is not taking any risk. And then we go, yeah. And then Paul says, no! (laughs) The biggest mistake is not learning from your mistakes. And we're like, Yeah. (laughs) And we're like, wait a second. (laughs) Oh, no. You know, Barnabas is feeling with his heart. Paul is thinking with his head. Barnabas desires mercy to prevail. Paul desires wisdom to win out. And now these differences that God (laughs) used to bring them together, to make them a a formidable force to balance, to have two men of God like that Principled and encouraging, gracious and stern, and all of the things that work together to make them a beautiful team now is tearing them apart. Just like some marriages, man, in the beginning, he's quiet, she's not. She's decisive, he's not. But when they first met, they fell in love and loved that about the other person. Oh, but he hardly ever talks. And then she says, uh, he's the strong, silent type. <laughs> but when he does talk, it's important, you know? And then she's so decisive, you know? Well, well, you know what? It's good. She knows what she wants. She knows what we need. She takes care of business. She's a hard worker, a lover, right? And then suddenly through the years... But she wants more words out of him. And, and he wants less direction <laughs> from her. <laughs> Sorry. OK, moving on. <laughs> That's what's happening. OK, so what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? Pow, pow, right? Boom. And now, the sharp meaning, and I've already told you, it's emotional. This is just this is super deep at every level for both of them. Veins are showing, okay? And they're reaching down and they're letting each other have it. Sorry to say. Now, what's gone in to make it more emotional that you're not thinking about? Well, there are two things that I want to show you that has kind of heightened the emotions there. Uh, first thing, something happened at church, an incident that Paul talks about, he tells his Galatian friends all about it. So let me set up the scene for you. Um, One day some very Jewish pharisaical delegates came for a visit in Antioch at the home church where Paul and Barnabas are pastoring, okay? And so uh, Peter the Peter, he happened to be visiting the church at the same time now here's what happened, Peter had a real misstep he he hit the banana peel and pfft, he did an embarrassing one of those now here's what happened, their church there in Syria those three men aren't, are Jews who are Christian but the church is not, the church is mostly non-Jews and they don't eat kosher they, they don't keep any Jewish cultural things. It's out the window, it's all things new, uh, all of the Jewishness parts, right? So when these ultra-Jewish big shots come with their long robes and their big chariots, they pull into the driveway, uh, uh, and they only eat kosher, and they will not eat with another Christian Gentile unless he's become an official Jew. And so they got up from the table with the Gentiles and they moved over these big important people and they put a sign on the table, Jewish people only. And they all sat there, separated themselves from the rest of the Gentile believers. And Peter went and sat with them, no longer sitting with his Gentile friends. He got sucked into it, he caved. And here's what Paul tells the Galatians he says but when Peter was visiting let me tell you what happened I had to oppose him publicly to his face for what he did was very wrong he said when he first arrived Peter was eating with the Gentile believers but when some Jewish men from Jerusalem came Peter pulled away he was afraid of the criticism from the visitors and as a result other Jewish believers followed Peter's misstep and then he wrote this even Barnabas my Barnabas my partner through all the years the guy who preached just the opposite he got swept in to the hypocrisy you don't think Paul was upset you don't think their relationship this is recent to this passage you don't think there's still a little bit of you know I don't know about John Mark but and I've had my doubts about you too brother I mean come on Okay? You don't think he brought that up? He might have said, listen, your judgment, it's been awful little lately, hasn't it? (laughs) You know? And so trust me on this. It's too soon. Let's leave your nephew um, behind on this trip so we can go back to the verses there. So that's what's going on. Now Barnabas clears his throat and says, okay, he needs a friend, man. Listen, you know what it's like, Paul, when everybody rejects you? And nobody stands up for you. Maybe I can call your attention to something, you know, and Paul knows where it's going. You know, Uh, maybe you forget, brother. Let me remind you. Everyone sent you away because you were so much trouble and no one knew where you were for about eight years and you weren't a part of the story. But guess what? Me, Barnabas, (laughs) I found you. I went to find you in Turkey at my own expense. I found you. I searched you out. Bingo. I take you to Jerusalem. I introduced you to the apostles and the leaders who didn't want anything to do with you. I'm quoting the Bible. They didn't want a thing to do with you. They were all afraid of you. You got your start because I stood up for you and I told them he's, this man's good. He's seen the Lord. He had a vision and he's risked his life for the gospel. quoting the Bible. This all came from Barnabas for his bosom buddy. And now he's going to say, you wouldn't even be here, Paul. You would not be in the story without my efforts. And now I'm asking you for a tiny little favor for the guy who needs somebody to stand up and believe in him happens to be my nephew. And could you please, for the sake of our friendship, just kind of, Give a a little grace here. You owe me, buddy. And Paul says, I'm afraid it doesn't work that way. I'm thankful for how God used you in my life. But when it comes to serving God, we owe first our allegiance to God before man and family. You see? So back and forth. The sharp disputing. Back and forth we go. So who's at fault here? David Guzik says this. Wherever there's sharp contention, somebody's wrong. And usually there's wrong on both sides. But there could be no way that both Paul and Barnabas were each walking in the spirit on this issue. So so number one, everybody probably right or wrong, could have behaved better. Let's say this. So how about this? Let's start with Paul. Maybe Paul could have said he could have been more gracious and worked to compromise. What if Paul said, you know, okay, John Mark can come. Yes. Let's take him to Galatia, just see the brothers, and then we'll figure it out from there. Let's see how he does. All right? That would have been nice. You know, meet halfway kind of thing. Um, Barnabas might have been more submissive you do notice that it's just like when God says Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, John, Peter, James, and John, we know Peter's leading. Well, it was Barnabas and Paul in the beginning. Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, and suddenly something happened. And God put Paul first. And then it was never Barnabas first. It was always Paul, 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 Paul. When that happened, which is hard enough as it is he should have come under and said, hey, God has clearly made you the leader. I'm going to come under. I'm going to submit myself as unto the Lord. It don't feel like it, but you know that's the way we're called. So he could have come under. But here, as we kind of wind down now, uh, let me tell you who might have surprised us all and risen to the occasion, blown our minds, and been seen as the hero. John Mark. The moment he heard that these two men of God were going at it because of him and his past bad behavior, that he was the cause for this intense dispute that threatened a friendship of two Bible heroes, the work of the Lord, the well-being of the church, he might have graciously and humbly decided to bow out and to say, guys, 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 listen up. Uncle Barnabas, listen, honestly. Honestly, look at me. Barnabas Listen, I, I want to stay home. I Entrust me with the ministry at the church. Let me prove myself. Uh, I, I'll head up a prayer team for the, for the, for the missionary trip. You know, I, this, this is wrong. This can't be of the Lord. Let, let me just bow out. You guys, let's, after dinner tonight, let's find somebody else to replace me and uh, let's have a word of prayer right now. God, Lord, I just pray for my two brothers here. Why not? Why not? That could have been in the story. It could have. Apparently, John Mark insisted, no, keep fighting. Because he ends up going on the trip with his uncle, right? So he didn't want to to bow out. He wanted to go. And he didn't uh, give any reason for them. So, yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Yeah, it doesn't say blessed are the troublemakers (laughs) there. Yeah, so, um, yeah, one writer said this the grace to die to selfish ambition and put the good of others ahead of our own desires is a beauty that comes with maturity, seldom seen in youthful hearts. And I really uh, like that one. Now, actually, as we do (laughs) close, uh, we are going to have some scriptures that give a hint who God thinks is to blame and who is in the right. Number one, Paul sets forth with uh, Silas, and they're commended by the church. Barnabas takes Mark to Cyprus with no mention of official church blessing. And number two, the story will follow Paul, every chapter Paul, to the end of chapter 28 through the book. Not one word of Barnabas ever again. Uh, Paul takes the young man uh, Silas there for missionary journey to, And uh, yeah, that's an exciting thing for Silas. And so, yeah. But the God of redemption... There's a silver lining in everything, and so remember this. Uh, instead of one team, now God prevails, and he says, now there are two teams. That's a good thing, right? And it, it, it doesn't exonerate a person from bad behavior. We like to do that. We like to really mess up, and then God will do what God always does, is try to bring something beautiful and redemptive out of it, whereby we get the wrong impression, well, phew, then, then it really was God's will. No, 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 no. We will all stand before, quote, Christians. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to answer for our deeds, good or bad. The judgment seat. The judgment seat means you don't lose your salvation, you just are rewarded or not. That's it. So there'll be times, and God will settle this dispute at the judgment seat, they'll either be reward or not reward but nobody will be put to shame. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. They'll just be equity, they'll be justice, they'll be wow, and both parties will go, whoa, perfect, nailed it, God, as you always do. Let's close out with John Mark, come on. (laughs) A righteous man falls seven times. John Mark's the epic, bounce-back kid, wow story. First of all, there must have been mending in Paul's relationship with him because he's seen Throughout the missionary journeys, you hear his name. It bounces up all over the New Testament. Oh yeah, I'm bringing John Mark this, John Mark that, John Mark this. But at the end of the, Paul's life, he's about to be beheaded. And he says in his final words, bring John Mark to me because he's so helpful to me. Now John Mark didn't say, well you tell him. You know, oh, who needs John Mark now? You know, no, he. (laughs) Right, you know, sorry, I have a friend who likes the Z snap. Her name shall remain. Anonymous, right, Val? Oh, who needs who now? You know, no, he didn't do that. You know why he's humble. He takes responsibility. He grows. He says, let's go forward, let's go forward, let's go forward. So much so that he starts hanging out with Peter, and Peter and him bond. And guess what? Peter downloads, as y'all know where this is going, he downloads the three and a half years spent with the Son of God, and Mark starts writing it out, and it becomes the book of Mark. This is the guy who said, I'm going home to my mom and I don't care about you guys. That's (laughs) him. This is an amazing thing. And if God could use Mark like that, what can he do in our lives? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, oh man, Christians, we're complicated, God. Yet your Holy Spirit you give us hope. You show us things that are important. You guide us through life, and you always make a way to bounce back, God. Help us to remember that. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.